Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 8 of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashinsky and I'm joined once again by my great friends and co-hosts Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Got a fun show coming up for you guys today. Another week into real recruiting. We'll get an update there. Some tough news from the son of a coaching legend. And guys, we got expanded playoffs to talk about. But first, let's say hello to the boys. Hayden, what's going on, man? What's going on, guys? Just got done with another super, super busy week with work and football and coaching basketball and real busy, but positive note, I get to spend the night with you guys, so pretty fired up about that. We're fired up to spend the night with you too, and it's good to hear that you're not letting those coaching muscles go a little little soft on us here in your off season. Now, Casey, let's throw it over to you. What's good in your life, buddy? What's going on? Absolutely nothing is going good in my life right now, fellas. <laughs> I'm just playing. Pretty busy week myself, but excited to be here. I, I think, Hayden, are you coming over this weekend? Or is it just Maddie? I honestly, I have no idea what the plans are. I'm just trying to survive through tomorrow before I worry about the weekend. So I, I don't know. I'm not, not sure what the plans are. All right. Well, maybe I'll see Hayden this weekend. <laughs> but other than that, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Wally? I'm doing pretty well. The NHL playoffs are still kicking, unfortunately. The Islanders and the Canadians are kind of like these sacrificial lambs right now, so it's kind of a little boring going into the semifinals. So that's kind of where my attention's been, super hockey guy myself. But outside of that, just ignoring the Pirates as best I can. They make it hard when they go viral on Twitter about once a week for something else really new and stupid. But that's enough about the Pirates. What if you say we jump into our Big Ten Big Five? First off, I want to shout out to the Mets. They had a pretty decent week, which I'm starting to gain a little confidence in them. And by the way, I saw, uh, oh gosh, well, some beat writer for baseball. He listed his top five pitchers in the MLB right now. And it was really funny because it, like, number one was Jacob. Number two was Jay DeGrom. Number three was DeGrom, comma, Jacob. And it was just Jacob DeGrom all, for all five. I just thought it was funny. Sorry, go ahead, Hayden. First of all, F the Mets. Second of all, Wally, how is it that the Pirates every single week have something new going? The dude hits a home run and doesn't touch first base. Are you kidding me? Is is this is this Pony League baseball? Is this junior high baseball? Or is this is this dude in the majors? Like what is going on? The worst part about it is the guy's the future of the Pirates right now. He's the guy that we're all fired up to watch. So the only spin zone I have is that I guess I would rather him hit a home run and miss first base in a meaningless season, at least give me something to look forward to, than just strike out and nobody ever hears about it. So I get, that's my spin zone. It's not a good one, but that's my spin zone for you. I mean, they just lost their 13th straight game to the Dodgers too. So it's really hard to care about baseball in this city. I try really hard, but man, do they, they make it challenging. I'm not going to lie to you. They make it challenging. Hashtag sell the team. Please. I don't think anybody in Pittsburgh likes Bob Nutting. I don't think Bob Nutting looks in the mirror and likes what he sees. Like, no one likes that man. And the fact that Mark Cuban was had interest in this team 10, 15 years ago in the MLB, like, shushed it away, just boggles my mind. Because he immediately would put money into this team. He's from Pittsburgh. It just would have been a perfect sense. And now he has no interest, it sounds like, whatsoever, getting at least involved with the Pirates. I don't care. It's... It's all pain. It's all pain. Sorry, buddy. That's fine. That's fine. It's okay. This is a Big Ten sports podcast. 
especially for football and basketball, so we don't have to worry about the Pirates for the next hour and a half or so. So that's no problem. What we are going to do, I said it a little earlier, we're going to jump into our Big Ten Big Five right now. Casey had a really good idea last week that we're going to use. Five games you're looking forward to most involving Big Ten teams in 2021. So this doesn't necessarily have to be an interconference game. I kind of left it up to all three of us to use your own brain. The thing was, I made a list of like 22 teams on this because there are so many games I'm fired up about. A lot of non-conference games that I feel like 10 years ago we're not seeing. So I'm pretty excited to talk about it. I'm going to let you guys decide whichever order you want to go first. But let's hear from you guys. Give us five, and I'm going to do it, so I'm not going to tell you not to. If you want to throw an honorable mention or two in there, feel free. All right, I'll go first. Number five for the top games I'm looking forward to is Washington at Michigan, according to Lindy's Magazine, which I have right in front of me and is a great source. Washington is the 17th-ranked team in the country coming into the season. And I think this is going to be a huge test for Michigan. And I think this game will determine what kind of season they have. I mean, if they win, I think it could spring them forward to like a 9-3, and 10-2 season. Or it could really kill their momentum and lead them down a 7-5, and 6-6 six and six type of year. So that's why I think I'm looking forward to that game. Because it could mean a lot for Michigan's outlook the rest of the year. Number four, I had Penn State at Wisconsin. Actually, there are a lot of games in the first week of the season that I wanted to put on here, to be honest with you. I'm really looking forward to that first weekend. Well, and week, I guess Ohio State plays on a Thursday. But yeah, so first game of the season, I think. I don't really like how there's Big Ten games the first game of the season, just because one of these teams is going to be 0-1 in the Big Ten play and just be chasing the whole rest of the year. Now, I guess, you know, if they play this week four and that's the first Big Ten game, that would still be the case, but I don't know. Either way, I'm looking forward to this game. Another week one matchup I'm looking forward to is Indiana at Iowa. I've talked about Iowa being one of the hottest teams in the country last year, toward the end of the year, multiple times on different shows here. I'm pretty high on Iowa, and I think it's a great week one test for Indiana. Hopefully, um, Penix Jr., can come back and and play because I think that matchup would be uh, really good. For number two, I have Iowa at Wisconsin. I believe that's Halloween night, but I think the winner is going to take the uh, Big Ten West this year. Like I just said, I'm pretty high on Iowa, but I'm not sure if I can see them going to Wisconsin that really that late in the year and, and getting a win. Number one is Oregon at Ohio State. I really think that's the only game that's up in the air for me as far as whether I think Ohio State is going to win or not. I think uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is a monster and it's going to cause problems for whoever starts that quarterback for Ohio State. Oregon has 18 returning starters from last year's team. And I looked this up because I couldn't remember like the last non-Big Ten team, yeah, non-conference team to come to Ohio State. And then I found it was 2017 Oklahoma. And then before that, it was 2014 Virginia Tech. So let's see if Ohio State can kind of break their losing streak here of quality non-conference teams coming to the shoe. Odds are it has to end, right? At least that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> well, for Ohio State fans, they really should not hope that streaks come to an end this year because they got Minnesota. 
They've had a ten, I think, ten in a row against Ohio State, Indiana. So hopefully, I mean, for Ohio State's sake, I think you can suffer a loss to Oregon, but maybe not to Indiana and Minnesota. But I'm just jibber jabbering now. Very true. Very true. My list. I'm I'm gonna cheat, and I'm not putting them in any particular order because I respect all the teams in the Big Ten and I value them all equally, including Illinois. What the heck? <laughs> including <laughs> Illinois. Respect Brett Bielema. Champagne respect. Let's go. <laughs> But my list was actually very similar to Casey's. One game that he didn't mention that I particularly wanted to hit on, you mentioned Indiana and Iowa opening the season up together. Iowa plays at Iowa State the next week. And those two, you talk about, you know, a team that could kind of either gain momentum or really lose a momentum, I guess. Could be Iowa. If they could somehow win both of those games, they're set up to have a very, very good season. Not that saying was that an they honorable will. mention that I forgot to mention. Yeah, I'm actually and it's it's kind of weird that I'm excited to watch Iowa at Iowa State. But I think and this is my prediction for the whole year, I think Iowa is going to win the West. So I think they'll be a pretty solid team and I Iowa State has just a bunch of dudes coming back, and they're already got the preseason hype going. So I think that game, second week of the season, is could be could be really really good. Another one that I don't know if you mentioned was Michigan at Penn State. I don't I don't think you mentioned that one. I put I, I just put that one because I'm assuming that game is going to be the whiteout, and that's the best environment ever in the history of college football. So figured I had to put that one on there. Another one. Staying in the Big Ten West is Wisconsin and Notre Dame. And I think that's really cool because it's going to be at Lambeau Field. And I don't know. I I guess we'll see how good Graham Mertz is. I think Notre Dame will be decent. That'll be a good test for them. That's that's a little later in the season. I think week week four or five or something like that. And then I guess my top one was Ohio State-Oregon just because of everything that Casey hit on. That's really the only game that I could see Ohio State losing this year. But I guess who knows? I guess that's why you play them. Honorable mention. I said I didn't have an order, so I don't know how it's an honorable mention. But another one was the Iowa at Wisconsin game because that game is probably going to decide the West just like it always does, or it always seems to come down to those two teams. So Iowa plays at Wisconsin. And that's not until late in the season. That's not until November. So both teams will have a bunch of games under their belt. In my opinion, decide who wins that that side of the conference. So I think a lot like you, Hayden, if we were making this like the games we're most excited for, we'd probably have five Ohio State games on here just because that's who we are. So I'm going to do similar to you where I'm going to really limit the Ohio State stuff. So I'm going to just get it out of the way early. You guys already talked about Ohio State, Oregon. Seems like the one that makes the most sense. The only thing that could make this not as impactful is I don't know, I'm sure we're going to get into it with the talk about college football expansion for the playoff. If that happens this year, if that is immediately in effect, that game kind of loses a lot of its meaning because all of a sudden Ohio State, if they lose that game, if Oregon loses that game, not only is it not a death blow, you could probably afford to lose another game on top of that and still make the playoff. So for that reason, I'm actually going to put another Ohio State game that I'm excited to watch because I think it's going to tell us more about the team going into the season. 
is that opener. That Thursday night game on the road at Minnesota, you're going to find out a lot early on how this team is going to do with the turnover immediately like before that Oregon game. Are they going to be looking ahead? Are they going to be fully focused on that game? Not like Minnesota is a world beater by any means, but they're not a team you can just walk into and expect to win, especially with an inexperienced quarterback. So that is a game I'm actually really looking forward to. Now, out of the Ohio State realm, I'm going to give you a couple more here. Another opener that I have, Penn State at Wisconsin. That is the first week of their season. Camp Randall, you know, is always going to be crazy, whether it's noon or not, especially second quarter on. You guys know what I'm talking about with the fans finally showing up. So that'll be a fun game. I'm excited to see. I think it really could help determine who wins that Big Ten West, I think, more or less. Because Penn State, if they do lose that game, while it is a big deal, they could, in theory, run the table and still win the East because they'll have the head-to-head then with all those teams over there. So I think that'll be a bigger test for Wisconsin or at least more important to them. Now, a couple more for you. Number three for me, Casey, you said it, Washington at Michigan. That's a really big non-conference game, especially early in the year for Michigan. It kind of sets the tone for the entire year. Is this going to be another year where it feels like Michigan fans are a little disappointed that they're not getting the return that they expect to get. But if they win that game, who knows? That can really catapult not only that team. I mean, that's going to be a game that a lot of eyes are on early in the year. Who knows what that means for recruiting and what that means for the future of the season, et cetera, et cetera. But then number two, Soldier Field. I think it was on your Hayden's, or list, Hayden. Wisconsin against Notre Dame. We'll get a little more into that too because just this week they solidified. Well, I have a question. Yeah, for sure. What's going on? Is that not at Lambeau? This one, I'm pretty sure, is at Soldier Field. And the one that they like locked in for 2026 is going to be in Lambeau again. It was oh, originally shit. that Bears, Packers kind of, you know, it's like that closer to Notre Dame kind of a feel. So that's why they did it. Uh, Fuck. I, you definitely have to edit that then. No, 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 no. That's good, actually. That's I think a lot of people are going to be wondering that same question because... I mean, we had been looking forward to the Lambo experience with Notre Dame for quite some time, and we'll get it. It's just going to be a little farther down the road than we expected. But anyway, so my number one then following that up is Auburn at Penn State. This was a game I was kind of surprised neither of you had on your list just because I know it's the fall. I know by that it's like late summer still, but you still have a Southern team go up north, play a non-conference game, especially from that Southeastern Conference. We don't see that happen all that much. And this might be completely off base, but I think the last time Penn State hosted an SEC team, at least one that was credible, not like a Vanderbilt or something, because I might be missing one of them. I think they got bum-rushed in a home-and-home with Alabama, uh, unless I'm completely off base there. So I think they'll be itching to kind of get that off their back, so to speak, early in the year. But then just a few honorable mentions real quick on my end. I already told you the Ohio State-Oregon game. I wanted to put Nebraska and OU on this so bad, but I just don't see Nebraska being able to make that a four-quarter game. I'm really excited to watch it. Who knows, early in the year, maybe you get something funky, but I think OU's going to win that and win that handily, so I didn't put it as high. And this one's more just personal because of our guest, Drew Meyer, coming on the podcast a few weeks ago. Illinois is actually going to travel to Virginia, which has now become my adoptive ACC team after that little interview we did. And it'll be fun early on in the year to see if Brett Bielma's got any kind of momentum going for that Illinois team that we've loved to poke fun at so far in this show. 
But there's so many games. I think you could have gone... There's probably another 10, 15 games on here we could have brought up and had a realistic case to, to make. But I think there's a lot of similarities from our list for a reason. There's like five to 10 games that really stand out this year. I'm just really looking forward to get it going, man. We're only a few months away now. Looking through this magazine, I want to know your guys' thoughts. Which Big Ten team do you think returns the most starters from last season? Sorry, kind of random, but... It's going to be some obscure team like Illinois or like some team like that because they're not going to have the pros going up. So I think I'm going to stick with my Illinois Fighting Illini here. I'm going to go with the Fighting Shianas. Rutgers, is that it? It is Rutgers, and I was looking that up because, yes. um, you know, I, I'm i pretty intrigued by this Ohio State matchup, too, with Minnesota, and Minnesota has 18 returning starters from last year's team. They're really on offense. They're only replacing Rashad Bateman, and then they have seven guys coming back. Only, the so, only. Well, I mean, didn't he opt out last year, like after two games or something? I don't know, but the dude was a beast, though. I mean, yeah, he was good, but that running back is really good, too. But anyway, yeah, ra- random thought there. It's crazy to think that a team that has 18 returning starters isn't leading the conference in returning starters. That's uh, kind of absurd when you think about it. That's nine on both sides of the ball. You're only replacing two on both. So I never would have expected that to be. Are they second, at least, at 18, or is another yeah, team up yeah. there? No, Minnesota's second with 18. Uh, okay. Rutgers has 19. Okay. All right, well, that okay, I'll give you that. What is Illinois? I want to feel at least not too dumb I can't, until you drop like a six on me here. Yeah, hold on. I got to, you know, turn the pages for the <laughs> for Illinois. They're all the way in the back. I don't um, understand why. <laughs> they have 15, so seven on offense, six on defense, and their kicker and punter. I'm going to call so, it a win anyways. I don't care. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, that's actually a lot of fun. We'll get more into these games as we get closer into the season as well. But let's just jump in right now into some current events. What do you guys say? Yes, sir. Let's start with some of the, I guess, more topics that we're going to be able to breeze through. They're a little more lighthearted in nature before we get into a couple heavy-hitting stuff that I think we're going to talk a little bit about. But Hayden, you talked a little bit earlier about that Lambeau Field game that Wisconsin and Notre Dame had to reschedule. It's now set for September 5th in 2026. Still obviously planning to play that game at Soldier Field this year on September 25th. You were right, by the way. It is week four of the regular season. And of course, you guessed it. It's a big noon kickoff because that's what we all love. We don't like night games in the Big Ten. We want to watch a game on Fox at noon after being hungover all morning. That's okay. They had this scheduled. It was obviously canceled due to COVID last year when the Big Ten decided to nix all non-conference games. It, but here's the, the thing that I guess you, it makes sense. But whenever you see stats like this, it kind of makes you like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. This is only going to be their second matchup since 1964 coming up. Not teams that typically see each other. It'll be a lot of fun to kind of delve into that once we get closer into the year. We're going to have a little bit of an idea of what these teams are like because both of them have difficult games leading up before this. But I just wanted to kind of hear your guys' thoughts. Do you like, first of all, when these teams play home and homes when they're not actually at their home stadium, I guess. Yeah, I think it's actually really, really cool. Really, I think that's a great experience for some of the players, too. I mean, we always talk about, like, the bowl games and going to these big, you know, the Rose Bowl or down to Dallas to Jerry's World, you know, things like that. But getting that that place up north, I think, is, is really 
a, a, a different feel. It's not like you're going to a bowl game, but it's still a it's still a big game, and it's still you know it's historical. Fun fact: on the last time Notre Dame and Wisconsin played, Wally, who do you think won that game, and what do you think the margin was? Can I get a year first? Because I think that's obviously going to make a big difference here. Yeah, they played in 1964. I think I think you said that, didn't you? Oh, no, I was saying that they apparently have, this is their second time since 1964, so there might actually be a more recent game. But in 1964, the way Notre Dame was a wagon and Barry Alvarez was still like this, like not well-known. He wasn't even there, obviously, but he's this nobody. So Wisconsin at that point wasn't exactly the powerhouse. So my guess would have been Notre Dame won, and I would have guessed Notre Dame won big. Notre Dame did win, and it was pretty decent. 31-7. to Last time they played, 1964. I guess that makes sense, though, because even a few... I think it was our first episode when we were talking about the Wisconsin history of that football program. There really wasn't history until the 80s or 90s. So that, I guess, makes sense. Notre Dame was Notre Dame back then. That was before they are now. But real quick, before I throw it to Casey, hear his thoughts, I wanted to point out something that you said, too. Yeah, it's not necessarily a bowl game, but especially for the Wisconsin players... You got to hear a few weeks ago in that interview with Drew Meyer, people in Wisconsin, like, you know, in Columbus, Ohio State sports is religion. In Ann Arbor, Michigan sports is religion. In Wisconsin, it's not necessarily the Badgers by any stretch. It's the Packers. So these guys, most of them, you know how they recruit in state a lot. Most of these guys grew up either loving or hating the Packers. And no matter what, you had that kind of awe moment when you saw or you know about Lambeau. So getting that and getting the guys in there, I think it's going to be really cool, not only for the Badger players, but for Notre Dame as well. And talk about a difference of venues, because Soldier Field's arguably the worst NFL stadium in the entire league. And then you go to Lambeau. It's arguably, it's definitely the most historic, I would say now, unless I'm missing one off the top of my head. But it's one of the better ones after the renovations as well. I think it'll be interesting to see. And it won't be the same players, obviously, 21 versus 25. But it'll be cool to see the difference of experiences the players get. Yeah, you're uh, forgetting about Heinz Field there. Oh, oh, am I forgetting about Heinz Field? <laughs> anyway, so on this topic, uh, I typically am not a big fan of neutral site games in the regular season just because it takes away from, like, an awesome home environment. Like, how sweet would it be to see Notre Dame at Wisconsin or Wisconsin at Notre Dame? But I'm actually – I really like this one. Both teams getting to play – relatively close to their campuses being in Lambeau and Chicago so I guess typically I don't like it but this one I guess I do the only thing that I was looking at this and I was like wow you know what yeah Notre Dame has a massive fan base and all that no matter where you go there's going to be people showing up but Soldier Field is not exactly far away from Madison either whereas Lambeau on the other hand it's north of Madison so it's obviously in the heart of Badger country so it feels like you would imagine that the Badgers are going to have a little bit of an edge there, at least at Lambeau. In Soldier Field, you'd imagine that there's going to be plenty of fans and students wanting to travel as well. So you wonder how much of a home field advantage Notre Dame is going to really have this year when we get to see Soldier Field. I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is split right down the middle, 50-50 Badgers and Irish fans. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really know how well Wisconsin fans travel, I guess, Really, the only time that I watch Wisconsin, I feel like it seems like it's always at Wisconsin. So, I mean, Wally, you would know better better than what I would. So, 
It, I mean, it could be 50-50, sure. Wally, are Wisconsin students going... Dude, the students themselves travel well. Like, I'm sure like some of the alumni or just fans would, but do the students themselves travel? They're more of a fan base. I feel like they travel for really big events. So, like, you remember in 2014, Hayden, I'm sure, when we played them at the Big Ten Championship game, it was, like, 80% Buckeye fans, 20% Badger fans. It almost feels like that's not big enough to get them to go too far out of their realm, so to speak. But, like, when they go to the Rose Bowl, when they play, like, Oregon, TCU, and a missing Stanford, they had 50% of the crowd at each and every one of those. Like, they had enough travel. I don't know if I'd say that was overwhelming students or not. But I think it'll be enough where that's a two-hour drive to Chicago from Milwaukee, not even. So you're going to have Badger fans even south of, of Madison, south of Milwaukee, that that's an hour down the road. It's just as far from Camp Randall as it is from their homes. So I think that you're going to see it from that avenue, even not from a student perspective, but a lot of just natural, just college fans of that team. And who knows how many... People in Chicago, too, are just going to go and be like, hell, you know what? This is pretty sweet. We've got a pretty decent college game for a change. Might as well go and watch it. So I expect it to be a great environment one way or another. I just don't know the optics, I guess, of so far what we're going to see. Not to mention, I don't know how it works. Maybe one of you guys would. You know, for bowl games, they sell like packs. Do they do something similar to that neutral site? Or is it, since it's technically a Notre Dame game... Is Notre Dame getting access to tickets that Wisconsin fans don't have? Yeah, I have no idea. That's a great question. That's what I do here. I'll try to figure that out. So hopefully by the time this next episode comes out, I'll throw in a random fact for you guys about whether or not they have those packs going to Wisconsin fans as well. But let's switch gears a little bit here to a former guy that was in the Big Ten. Luke McCaffrey is once again on the move. He's leaving Louisville less than four months after transferring from Nebraska. Scott Sattersfield, I think I said that right, Satterfield, I should say, the head coach of Louisville, said he started working out on Wednesday with the team, and then after a week, those three or four days, decided this wasn't the place for him. And then he later said his big thing is that he wanted to come in and play and be a starting quarterback. And I guess after three or four days, decided this wasn't the place for him. Sheesh. That doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement by any stretch. Maybe I'm taking this out of context because I'm only reading the fine print, didn't hear how he said it. But that doesn't exactly sound like, hey, you know what, good luck to Luke. He did later in the interview say, he's a great kid, we're wishing him well. But if you read between the lines, it kind of, it's like, you come in here, you expect to win the job, you better be good enough to win the job, and you weren't. See you later, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, I guess my take would be, I wouldn't want my my school to take him as a quarterback if that is his mentality and I obviously I don't know him as a person and I'm not saying he's a bad person or he doesn't work hard or whatever but like like you said that's not necessarily a a, the ringing endorsement that I think a coach would like to give a player but I'm gonna flip it over to Casey I think he has some strong feelings on this that we're probably gonna butt heads a little bit yeah, so first off, I did not know about those comments, and wow, those, uh, I mean, he's brutally honest, and might that hurt Luke McCaffrey's chances of playing somewhere big again? Yeah, but as, I, I didn't know that he was only there for three or four days either. I thought he was, because I know he committed in February, I guess I didn't really realize when he was there. But unfortunately, and this is where Hayden and I are going to butt heads, this is the new way of college football, you know. 
dudes being able to go work out for three or four days doesn't doesn't think he's gonna win the job or whatever the case may be and then he's out basically Um, a pro camp or one of those player camps that you get to practice and then just bail yeah i i i'm just not a fan of of things like that now you know if somebody attends a school for two years wants to transfer for playing time or whatever reason it's fine i guess whatever one time transfer rule go somewhere else and not to sit out that's fine but this is the exact thing that like i feared when all this new transfer stuff came out because not only is it bad for luke mccaffrey it's also bad for louisville football like they had to i would assume he was on scholarship like that's one less scholarship that somebody else could have had who would have you know came in worked hard and not left after three or four days. So that, that's just my opinion on it. I, I don't know how anybody will be, be able to change my opinion on, on that one, especially in this case too. Why is it bad for McCaffrey? I, like other than the coach saying those comments, why is it bad for him? He would have a chance to not go anywhere he wants because he's not that good, but he has a chance to go somewhere where maybe he can start. Why is that bad for him? Well, no, I just think the look of it all is bad, you know, with coaches' comments. And then, like, if you were a head coach at another another big-time school, let's say, and you're thinking about bringing them on, and, you, I mean, you've got to ask the question, hey, why did you leave there after three or four days of working out? Like, he's going to have to answer that question. And what what is he going to say? Oh, I just didn't feel like a good fit. When in reality, that head coach is probably sitting there thinking, all right, so did he, were they working too hard and he just didn't keep up with the workouts or did he get knowledge that, you know, this quarterback that they've had there is better than he is? You know what I'm saying? That's that's how I think it's bad for McCaffrey. Yeah, I, I understand. I guess I just, after this is his second transfer, going to be a second transfer, right? Yeah, third school, second transfer. So I guess usually after the second transfer, you're probably not going to get picked up by one of the upper echelon teams anyway. And I'm not saying it doesn't look bad for him because it doesn't look great. And I already said that if I I wouldn't want him to come in as my quarterback, but I'm sure that he will get picked up by somebody and be on a scholarship and have somewhere to play. It might not be a good team. But it will be somewhere, I'm sure. Now, this is obviously isolated to this individual instance right now. But my only question would be is how much of this is his name, that last name, his pedigree, so to speak, going to keep teams interested that maybe you wouldn't see if this was a one-off player that maybe this is him making his own legacy with the name, so to speak. Like if this was Joe John and he's go transferring for his third school in two years. I don't know if you're going to have the same, I guess, interest level from coaches and programs around the country. Whereas he's Christian McCaffrey's brother. He's got to be pretty damn good. We see what he's doing. So you're going to keep seeing teams take flyers on him. So I guess that was my, I guess, wonder is Louisville wasn't exactly, and I might be wrong. You guys are the recruiting guys. I want to be clear with that. But I was looking at 24-7 sports. And when he was, being recruited the first time around of the 12 schools that they listed, Louisville was not one of them. So it makes you wonder if how wide open, I guess his 
I guess, quote-unquote, recruitment now would be if this is just going to be, oh, wow, uh, Luke McCaffrey is at Tulane or Luke McCaffrey is at ASU. Is this going to be something that we just pop up and see randomly because of that, or what are we going to do? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I didn't know that Louisville wasn't in his top because, you know, typically, you know, the top schools in a player's – what what they do like top fives or whatever finalist for recruiting. Usually, you know, you would think that schools that were in that top five would one be interested in you again, and then two you'd be interested in you know transferring there. But I don't know how you know the transfer, the, the whole thing. Just it, I don't know. It seems like a headache to be honest with you. But going back to your comments about McCaffrey and, and just his name, I thought it was really interesting that Dylan McCaffrey only went to Northern Colorado. One, because he played, you know, sparingly at Michigan and looked decent. And then, like you said, could Luke McCaffrey go somewhere just based on his name? Like, I figured Dylan McCaffrey would go somewhere a little bit bigger than Northern Colorado, probably like a Power 5 school, I assume. But anyway, getting off track, that that was my comment on that. We're not rooting against him. It's just something we wanted to bring up because it's obviously it's something new that we have to talk about. This new transfer portal, like the limited or I guess lenient rules that we've seen in recruit. So it's not going to be an isolated incident. We're going to see this more and more likely as Casey's been talking about. But let's change now. We're going to talk about, unfortunately, the the topic that's not exactly fun to talk about this week, but we felt like we needed to address it at the very least. I don't feel like it's getting as much of the national media, but here in Big Ten country, we're seeing a lot about it. Matt Schembechler, son of former coach and legendary coach Bo Schembechler, came out today in a press conference and said that he was abused by Dr. Robert Anderson. All of what I'm about to tell you is credited to at on Twitter at by Austin Meek. Austin Meek is a staff writer covering the Michigan football team for the Athletic. So he was there. He got the raw details. Matt reported alleged abuse to his father at the age of 10 years old on his mother's wishes. He was subsequently punched in the chest by his father, permanently scarring that relationship. He was there saying it was the beginning of the end of it, so to speak, as you would imagine. That's something hard that you you can't really recover from in a relationship. But he also reported an incident to the AD, Don Canham, then AD, I should say, he believes that Bo Schembechler also intervened there, keeping Canham from firing Anderson. And then this is where I feel like it just keeps getting worse, the story. Former Michigan player Gilavani Johnson said he reported Anderson's conduct to Bo Schembechler himself, but nothing came from it. Later, coaches used threats of visiting Dr. Anderson as a motivational tactic to the team. Johnson was quoted as saying, Only now do I realize how crazy it was to threaten rape as a way to make players work harder. Just tough stuff. I, and it keeps going. I'm going to read just a couple more, and I want to get your guys' raw thoughts here. But when Austin asked Matt Schembechler why Bo protected Anderson, his answer was essentially that Bo could control Anderson and exert pressure on the doctor to threaten players as he saw fit. Now, Matt urged the media and public not to give any negative feedback to Coach Harbaugh because Jim Harbaugh this last week, or not last week, but recently made the point, that's not the Bo Schembechler I remember. And I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that direct quote, because it's just simply not in his lens. He should have been more, I guess, sensitive and socially aware 
I should say of this, knowing that people and there are victims out there, you don't want to speak about something you're not 100% sure on. It's just a terrible story. It's kind of gut-wrenching. I, I want to throw it over to you first, Casey. I know that you have a love-hate relationship, it feels like, with the football team at time to time, but you grew up, obviously, hearing about the legend of Bo Schembechler and how much he meant to this program. I, I just want to, I guess, hear what your initial thoughts were. I know that there's nothing really good to say about it, but it's good to at least address it. You need to talk about this stuff to keep it from going it again, uh, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, so this story is just absolutely disgusting. Everything that I've read, and then Wally, I didn't watch the uh, press conference today. I I don't understand how a father could, you know, treat his son like that. On top of, you know, I'm sure if if he knew about the abuse to his son, that he knew about the abuse to the hundreds of other people as well. It's it's really really gross. I I mean, I don't know how they you know, really prove anything at this point, you know, with Bo and the doctor both being dead. But I mean, I, I would think that even these, you know, allegate, like, I don't, I don't understand why these, you know, Matt Schembechler and then the player that came out would, would lie about this. So that I think Michigan needs to take it as it happened. It's he's guilty. They're both guilty. And this reminds me exactly of, the Penn state situation and, you know, sports center blew that whole thing up. I get it. You know, this happened 52 years ago, right? Matt Schembechler is 62 now, but I mean, in my opinion, you treat, I don't know. I'm torn with Michigan players and coaches getting in trouble right now for what happened 52 years ago. I think, you know, a self-imposed bull ban would be, I guess a nice, gesture to the victims out there as to like hey we're we understand what you went through we don't put football over you know the well-being of humans and like you come out with a statement like that michigan's not going to go to any damn good bowl game this year and not you know not that that should matter but then also i think they should remove the bow statue and change the name of Schembechler hall immediately because that's you know michigan prides itself and michigan fans pride themselves on being this school of excellence academically good people all this stuff and then for this to come out and for people at the university to protect a predator like that is um inexcusable gross and uh, just flat out wrong Hayden, I'd love to hear your take before I'm going to give my thoughts, but I, I think that was really well said, Casey. I really, I I don't have much to say. Casey pretty much covered it all. Just a really, really sad situation. Yeah, Casey pretty much covered it. I don't have much to say about that. It's just, it's not something, I, I got nothing. No, I understand. It's, not something that's fun to talk about by any stretch. And obviously the victims are the first priority in this situation, but because this is a sports podcast, I want to talk about the sports implications of this for a second. Again, not trying to diminish anything that those people went through, but I find it hard to justify a self-imposed bull ban when there's not only no football coaches, there's no football players, the, the AD, like the actual everybody on the top, Nobody that is there now was there for this. Nobody there was enabling it. 
and punishing players and coaches from a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, whether it's the beef of Brady's Bowl. This is, they, these guys have four years, potentially five, with redshirts, stuff like that. It's hard for me to justify giving a bowl ban. You're right, it would be a nice gesture. But I think, ultimately, the the right move here, you said it, you remove the Bo Schembechler name from that program, top to bottom. And again, this is the least of the concerns of all this. But even as Buckeye fans, like this is such a, it's a bummer. It's a shame because it not only gives a black eye to that Michigan era, but it also gives kind of a black eye to that entire rivalry and that, that stretch of the Woody and Bo. Because Woody, obviously, not to this level, but he had his own demons he fought in his life. And then you hear this, it's just, it's it's really a shame because this is you brought up the Penn State stuff and that's the closest sadly that we can think of really where teams just back then and it makes you wonder where else this occurred winning was paramount it was the most important thing the fact that his own son his ten year old son came to him and said hey dad like this guy that could have been it the, back then you fire him that guy. It, it probably ends there. Not to say that's the way it should have been handled, just firing it's over, but that's the way it could have handled it. But instead, it sounds like instead, he decided in his first year, that's what I, I think I, I was reading that right. It was his first year. You have a chance to set the culture, to a healthy culture. And instead, not only do you allow a predator like this, you're threatening on, like threatening him on your players to potentially get raped. Like, Hey, if you don't play better, we're going to send you to Dr. Anderson. That is as screwed up as you can ever... The, the Joe Paw stuff's terrible, too, because I believe he did know, and that tarnishes everything about him as well. But to actively use that as a tool, it's just mind-boggling to me. And from all accounts, all of it's like the players that obviously probably didn't have this stuff happen to him. You hear about how great this guy was, and it's just such a, a, a sin and a shame that he allowed this to go on for so long that moral compass never took over for the course of the following 50 years. I just, I don't have much else to say. Hey, and I see your hand up. I'd love to go to you and hear what you think. One thing that really blows my mind is how, I, I don't have kids, but how as a father, if your kid comes to you and says this, how you don't literally just go murder that guy. Like, like just as a natural reaction. Like, that really... Like, for it to happen to his kid, and for him to basically silence it is... I, I guess the word is... We've used every adjective in the book. I guess another one would be appalling. I, I just don't understand how that happens to anybody but to your own kid. Yeah, we, we just wanted to address that. It, we At first, we were wondering, like, this is supposed to be a happy, fun sports talk, but this is so big that you can't just turn a blind eye to this. It's I'm kind of sad now. Yeah, it's going to be hard to kind of go and talk, like, happy again, but we're going to try our best. But if anything new comes of this story, we'll definitely keep everybody in the loop, especially with our opinions and thoughts on it as well. But let's change it now to at least a little bit of a happy topic that at least we can get a little fired up about. I think we're... You heard us talk about playoff expansion a few weeks ago, but now it looks very evident that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of what it looks like. Now, this is what the report came out today. There's a 12-team playoff being proposed at the College Football Playoff Committee meeting next week on the 17th and 18th. 
Sounds like they have three of the 10 people already definitively for this. Now it's just a matter of making sure everybody else, or at least a majority, is on board to change it up. Now, in this scenario where there are 12 teams making the playoffs now, the top four conference winners will receive first-round buys. Now, here's the important thing you hear there. Top four conference winners, not top four Power Five conference winners. That's important because we'll get into it more. I'm not going to segue when I have like eight things about this playoff yet. But the first round matchups are going to be played at the higher seeds home location. 5-12-6-11-7-10-8-9. The quarters and semifinals will be played at bowl games where the championship is obviously at the neutral site like we have seen in recent years. Now the top six conference champions will all be guaranteed a shot. Then again, remember about that top six conference champions. So let's say the Pac-12 has an 8-4 and four team win. There might be two group of five champions that are going to be ranked higher than them. So this is an opportunity to get more group of five teams involved. Makes everybody feel like they have a legitimate shot at this at the start of the year, whether that's true or not. The last thing I will say is that the quarterfinals are likely to be played around January 1st or January 2nd. So take that as you will for what you would imagine the other scheduling time frame. You're probably going to be in mid or late January now before you actually crown a champion. So we know, we talked a few weeks ago, eight or six was the big hubaboo with us, which way we went. I was a fan and a proponent of an eight-game playoff. Casey and Hayden, it sounded like you were both pretty passionate about the six-team playoff. So I'll let whoever wants to jump in first. Give us your initial thoughts on this, how you think this can impact college football as a whole, and then, I guess, more directly, how it might impact the Big Ten. Yeah, so feel free to interrupt me if I get it get on a, a long rant here. Uh, not really a rant, I guess. I don't hate it. Uh, but first off, I wanted to to mention, so for, from my understanding, the top six conference champions get seeds one through six. And then there are six at large and they're seven through 12 is the way that I heard it being explained today on the Buckeye show. And if th- they were playing out the scenario of using this past year, and so in that scenario, we would have had Cincinnati as a five and Coastal Carolina as a six with USC being left out because they were ranked 17th. At, or no, Oregon won, but USC was the highest ranked Pac-12 team at the end of the year, and they weren't even the champion. And so the Pac-12 would have been left out there. And also on that, Good. so, it, right, but they were kind of talking about Notre Dame in that situation because... Based on that format, Notre Dame can't get any better than a seven seed if they're given one through six to conference champions. So maybe that, maybe Notre, I would love to see Notre Dame in the Big Ten, but if they go anywhere, they'll probably go to the ACC. But in terms of why I like it is because it gives the top four teams a bye. And that's really why I liked a 16 playoff was to reward the top two teams with a first round bye. And I think it, with that being the case, um, I think that, you know, there will be teams that still push to go undefeated and play big games in the non-conference to try to get that top four seed. But in terms of it being 12 teams, I don't like it because like we mentioned earlier, Ohio State, Oregon essentially means nothing. Like one of the, the, the game that we're all most looking forward to would really mean absolutely nothing to probably the two conference champions. 
And, and also the last thing I want to say, I, I'm kind of trying to summarize this all real quick. So I don't talk for 30 minutes. I don't like 12 teams because of the amount of three loss teams that are going to get in. And I just think that that dilutes the importance of the regular season. For instance, I think it was 2017 in a 12 team playoff format. We would have had five, three loss teams in the tournament. And, and to me, I can't, I can't crown a three-loss team a champion because they had one day they were better than Alabama and they knocked off Alabama. You know what I'm saying? It's hard for me to swallow that part. I do like the top four seeds getting a bye, but I'd be interested to hear your guys' point of view from this. I uh, have a couple of thoughts to go along with this. First of all, like Casey said, it kind of diminishes the importance of some regular season games some examples that i have just from recent memory that yeah they were like great games and great moments but if this playoff was intact then it literally i mean there were so cool moments but it wouldn't have mattered like for example in 2013 the kick six that game yeah i mean like everybody remembers that like i literally remember where i was watching that game and not that I maybe wouldn't remember where I was or just remember watching that game, but both of those teams still would have went to the playoffs. There was a price for losing or like losing that game. It's just the diminish of the regular season kind of kind of sucks. But also on on the other end of that, you get an extra week of playoff games, which I think will be fun. I mean, who doesn't like watching playoff football, better games in general? So I think that part of it's cool, but just the regular season kind of sucks. Casey pretty much hit that on the head. The second thing that immediately I thought of Ohio State with this news, and it's not just Ohio State, it's teams Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. If this goes into effect next year, those teams are going to be in the playoffs every year for the next forever. You know what I mean? So for teams like that, like the upper echelon teams, this is fantastic. You're never not going to miss the playoffs. You could even have a down year at 9-3, and three, and you're probably – there's a chance you'd still be in the playoffs. So for those upper echelon teams, it's kind of, I guess, a blessing. But Yeah, that's one of the questions that I wanted, I wanted to ask you guys. So this definitely benefits you know, the top teams like we were talking. But who, who misses the playoffs first if they go to this 12-team format? Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama? In the next five years – None of those teams are going to not the make thing. the playoffs. I don't. Yeah, that's the thing. Next five years, I'm glad you said that. I think that in this scenario, Bama's probably the most likely because Saban's going to retire in probably seven or eight years. And then if that's the case, we don't know the fall off. I don't think there will be much. But I'm just saying, from a likelihood, it's just they're going to be in it forever. Bad years. I mean, we're talking about they're going to be in the playoff for nine out of ten years at minimum for those three teams. The way it's looking right now. Why do you think Bama's going to fall off so much with Saban? They're going to bring in, you know, some big-time coach to replace him, you got to think, because that's literally the best job in America. You know? I, it's not that I don't think that they're going to be good or anything to that effect. It's just that I don't think any of these teams fall off. So that's the closest I can find a potential avenue for it is when Saban retires. Like, before Saban, I feel like a lot of people forget that he took over an Alabama team that was kind of just meh for about 10, 15 years, or at least 10 years, I'd say, 
before that, not to say that's going to happen because it probably won't. It's just if you're making me pick one of those three teams, it feels because of the age of the, the coaches of Ryan Day and Dabo, you would imagine if they both stay there, that it could be Alabama. But again, I don't think any of them fall off. I think all of them are pretty much a lock for the foreseeable future in the playoff the way it sits right now. Wally, if you could make a bet for amount of times Alabama makes the playoffs in the next decade, like where do you think the over-under would be set? In, in Nine the and a half. Team. Nine and a half. I think it has to be, right? Like it has to be. No, it, it is. Cause it, oh, go ahead, Casey. That's my bad. No, no go ahead. We're going to do the little dance here. I'm good. You go ahead. I was just going to continue and say they're too good. You, you got something of value. You throw it in. No, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say nine and a half was my thought, too, just because, like Hayden said, a down year for them, 10 and three, they're still going to get into the playoff. Shoot, I had another thought, too, but so, really messed me up. <laughs> why, 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 you think of, why, why, why you think of that? So, easy Alabama's a nine and a half. Rank the Ohio State and Clemson, what the over-under is for playoffs in, in the in the next decade. I would probably... Nine. I was going to say nine for Ohio State. I would say eight and a half for Clemson because I think there's not a large amount of people, but I think there's enough people that thinks that Dabo could eventually maybe take that Alabama job or take another job once... Like, it, whether it's NFL or what, he's not going to be in the NFL. He would never make it there. But let's say he goes somewhere else. That's another avenue you could find a, a fall off. I think it'd be eight and a half or nine for both Ohio State and Clemson. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, I think I would take the over on all three of them. If I had to bet, you know what I mean? I would take the over on all three. Oh, yeah, they're all three going to make it for 10, 10 straight years if they go to a 12-team playoff. That, there's just no scenario where I don't see either one of them making it. And I would even throw Oklahoma in there, too. Because it, it seems like Oklahoma's down years are ten and two, eleven and two as well. Their and, over under would have to be seven and a half or eight. It's not like theirs is going to be like a low number. It, it, there's going to be a few like fixtures you're going to get tired of seeing every year. I don't know if you guys watched SpongeBob growing up, but it's like when the city is on fire and SpongeBob and Patrick are looking at each other and they're like, "Like, congrats, Patrick, we saved the city." That's what it feels like. Where everybody's like, "Oh, cool, all the problems are gone." We have parity in college football now. All you did is you gave these three teams bye weeks now almost every year. And when you give those teams bye weeks, you have to factor in injuries. You have to factor in all these things. You have you don't have to go on the road and play a game in possibly like tough weather. And then it is meaningless regular season to an extent for these teams. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know why. The only concern I have, and I don't know, I think it could go either way is if you are a team like Penn State now, I'm kind of not as excited to schedule these crazy non-conference games because if I'm going to call Ohio State a loss, maybe one other loss in there, maybe I go 10-2 and two and I play someone like Oregon State instead of playing Auburn at home. So my big worry is, do we see eventually these big matchups that we're finally getting used to? It's awesome. We love it. It's great. Ohio State-Oregon, it means so much. It doesn't mean anything. Why are we playing it? I absolutely agree with you, Wally. I think that teams are, you know, why play that game now? If you're going to lose two Big Ten games, but you could schedule an Akron or a Vanderbilt or whatever and get an easy win and sit there at 10-2, and two, I think that most coaches and athletic directors will sign up for a 10-2 and, and then get the 10 seed in the playoff. 
especially with all the money that you're going to make by being a playoff team, like that's ex- extra exposure. You get extra sales. It also helps the Big Ten or whatever conference you're in. And that leads to my last point. And I know, Hayden, you sent me a tweet earlier. I wish I remember who it was from right now. But if people are annoyed with the SEC getting a lot of teams in right now, what do you think is going to happen when it's 12? You're going to have three teams every single year. You think it's only going to be three? Well, I'm just I, saying three I, is like a minimum. Like they are oh, going yeah. to have three. Oh, yeah. Like I couldn't imagine like it would be Georgia, right? Florida would have got in last year. Georgia, Florida. Don't forget Bama. LSU. Yeah, not last year. But not last year, but I'm just saying like LSU, teams like Texas A&M even. Like those are the teams that are going to be there sh- all the time. Yeah, I completely forgot Texas A&M was in the SEC for a little bit. But yeah, they would add four teams in just last year, just off of my memory. I mean, I'd have to pull up the rankings again, but uh, yeah, I mean, it would be crazy. I think the SEC gets four, Big Ten would get two, probably three, you would think. I mean, the West champion, and then if Indiana or Penn State, you know, go 10-2 and two or whatever, I don't know. Well, my last question for you, because I think this one, it keeps going in my head. How long is it going to take? Let's just go by last year. I wish... Maybe you have it off the top of your head, but you mentioned like Coastal Carolina, they'd host a home game. Cincinnati hosts a home game. How many Coastal Carolinas are going to have to lose 42 to 3 to Florida in the playoff for us to be like, you know what? Maybe we need to pump the brakes on 12. Let's reel it in. I think they would go down to maybe to like an eight then instead of going all the way back down to six. But how long does it take? I feel like it's a matter of time before they're like, wow, this sucks for everybody. Or just change the rules so that they're not hosting a play. Like, it doesn't matter to you if it, it would be Cincinnati hosting a game or if they're going to the Swamp to play. Would that make a difference? Not really. I, I think the full, either way, it's the, do you want blowouts in the playoffs? We're already bitching about how many blowouts we have in the playoffs. Do you think it's going to get better by adding teams like this? I mean, Coastal Carolina last year, yeah, they beat BYU. They look good in that game. But what was the... They lost, obviously, their bowl game, but I can't remember. It's not like they played anybody worth a damn. Do you think they line up against, in a bad year, let's say Alabama happens to lose their SEC title game, all of a sudden, they're down. Dude, like, let's say they have to host Alabama. Alabama would beat that Coastal Carolina team last year 56 to nothing in their house. Like, that's not good for anybody. Yeah, they enjoy the money, but who wins? No one's happy there. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you, buddy. Yeah, I completely agree with it. <laughs> I have one more over-under just because I love dogging on the Pac-12. Over-under Pac-12 playoff appearances in the next decade if this is the playoff. I mean, you would still have to set it decently high because, one, you're given I, I think I would go six and a half. Six and a half. I, I think six and a half was the first thing that popped into my head. But I would take the over just because... If there's a two-loss Pac-12 champion, you got to think they're going to be in at number 10 or 10 to 12. You got to think, right? I don't know. Well, not only that, I, we already have people saying, wow, look at this. The committee like purposely kept Cincinnati lower throughout the year so that they couldn't get into that playoff discussion at the end of the year. I mean, just because it's 12 doesn't mean that's not going to happen a little lower down now in the standings. If you have a USC that's 10 and 2 and a 12-0 and 0 or like 11-1 Boise State, who do you think they're going to rank higher? USC's bringing the eyeballs. USC's bringing the noise. They don't care about those 40,000 people that show up every week to Boise. It's just a, 
it's going to keep happening. It's just we moved the goalpost. That's all we did. I'm I'm going back to the rankings right now and just to kind of see where the Pac-12 would fall if on the last week of the college football playoff rankings. And interestingly enough, in 2019 and 2017 is what I've gone, gotten through so far. 2018, they would have gotten one team in. 2019 and 2017, they would have gotten two teams in, actually, being Oregon and Washington. 2016, they would have gotten three teams in, Colorado, USC, and Washington. 2015, I know I'm kind of rambling here, they would have got Stanford and just Stanford. 2014, they would have got Oregon, Arizona. Oregon. The Rich Rod, baby. Wow. Was that Khalil Tate? The year Khalil Tate? Or was he after that? I I don't know. But anyway, maybe we're just dogging on the Pac-12 a little too hard right now. But yeah, it would be it would definitely be interesting. Every time you say something, I get fired up about something else right now. So please bear with me. But it's just I, I can't envision the scenario where this ends up being in three years, we look back and saying, thank God, because if we're seeing the Colorados of the world and whatever, 2016, how do you think that would have turned out? I mean, then all of a sudden, I just, whatever. I, I I feel like we could literally talk an hour and a half on this, just tearing it apart, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, and to your point, Colorado, well, Colorado was pretty good that year. They played Michigan that year, and they played him tough. However, they lost their quarterback. Their quarterback got injured um, late in the season, and so that Colorado that Steven team, Montez? Mont- something Montez. What, what, I thought there was a guy before Montez. Uh, I don't maybe know. Maybe it was. But Montez definitely played in that Michigan game, I remember. But, yeah, to your point, so, like, Colorado 2016 and then Indiana of 2020 would have gotten in the playoff, you know, with injured quarterbacks, and we would have seen – them probably get demolished by whoever they would have played because they didn't have a quarterback too. And so, and typically, you know, the teams that are in the top four, it takes, you know, a little bit of luck, skill, and you got to be injury free if you're going to, if you're going to make it for the most part. And I think once we get to, you know, seeing these top 12 teams, like I don't think Indiana would have held a shot. Who would they have played against Florida? Now, if Penix Jr. would have played, I think that game would have been a fun shootout. But, you know, without him, I think Florida would have probably rolled. And that'd be unfortunate because I think that would kind of diminish the the good seasons that Indiana had and Colorado had in those years. I completely agree. I don't have anything else right now. I'm sure I'll be bitching during the season. But do you guys have anything else you want to add before we switch it up a little here? Wally, I do want you to pump the brakes just a hair. Everybody was all worried when we went from the BCS and I guess we expanded into a four-team playoff. Pump the brakes. It's it's going to be all good, I promise. We have less parity now with four teams than we did with two. This The four-team playoff has made it so the Ohio State's Clemson's, the uh, Alabama's, well, just didn't say Alabama. That They don't matter, guys. They didn't happen. But yeah, those three... They recruit better now because you know they're going to be a playoff team. That's the only hope I have in this is that if it goes to 12, more teams have that hope. They have that belief that they realistically, the the Michigans, the Penn States, Wisconsin's of the world, all of a sudden they're sitting there saying, hey, you know what? We could probably make the playoff 
two, three times a decade. And that's a big deal for teams like that. Maybe that's where I'm holding out hope. I don't know how... I mean, you're still going to have Saban, Ryan Day, and Dabo controlling recruiting, but maybe does it come down a little bit? Does it come a little bit closer to the mean for everybody? I don't know. I hope so. But that's the only way I can see going to a full-on 12 can be beneficial long-term. Pump the brakes. Pump your brakes. We're going to switch over to Ask CHW segment now. Now, i got to be honest with you guys. We need a little more help from you. Send your questions to hashtag AskCHW on Twitter. Ask us your questions there. It could be about anything. This week, last week, Hayden asked us about BK, McDonald's, Wendy's. Trash. That, BK trash. It's awesome. And we went off the rails as we're about to again. But I went a more of a sports question here. I wanted to give us one. I wanted to ask you guys if you could go into the past. Can't be future games. Any sport... Any environment, you are there in person. It could be 1585. You want to, I don't know, it could be 3,000 years ago. You want to see a gladiator fight. What is the one sporting event, if you could be there for, what would you go back and watch in person? Give me a start. I'll go first. Literally, I didn't even look at this question before you asked, but the first game that popped in my mind was the 2006 Michigan-Ohio State game. Because I remember I was only, shit, I was only, I think, 9, 10 but watching that game on TV was amazing. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be at that game. So that that was my first thought. Casey, how about you? Do you have one for us? The the first game that popped into my mind was the 2003 Michigan Ohio State game, the hundredth game. I I mean I vaguely remember. Didn't Braylon the, Edwards just absolutely dominate Ohio State that day? And, and Chris Perry, yeah. Bengals losing Chris Perry. That was a great game, and I believe the teams were like fourth and seventh in the country. But I, I just remember it being so hype because it was the hundredth game and all of that. But man, I, I mean, I was at the Michigan Ohio State twenty sixteen. That was a fantastic game. Gosh, I, I don't know. That's a great question, Wally. Let's hear yours. So if I went with the Ohio State route. I think what I, again, this is knowing what happened. I'm going back in time. I probably wouldn't have wanted to if I was old enough. I think the 2002 national title game against Ohio State, Miami, just because Miami was like a two touchdown favorite. Everybody in their mom had Miami winning that game. I was just happy. I wasn't old enough. I was naive enough to go into that game thinking, oh God, they've been doubting us all year. We're going to win. Now as I've gotten older and you see those rosters on those Miami teams, it's mind-boggling to look at it and be like, wow, that team, they they were struggling to move the ball. I know Ohio State's defense was phenomenal, but that was crazy too. And we got a little guest appearance here from Casey's cat. What's your cat's name there? Uh, this, this guy is Winston. He's he's acting out right now. Jameis. See, he's not. Actually, he's no Ollie, though. That big fella is my guy. Nah, Ollie's chilling right here on the on the ledge, if you can see him. For the people that are at home, Ollie is a unit. Just a full-on unit, and I love it so much. Like, we're talking six C's cat, and he just just lives his best life. Every time I see him, I get fired up about it. But the we, only- need to, we need to post him on our Instagram page. For, first, oh, yeah. First it's a cat photo. page now. <laughs> you say first photo. I've been uploading a photo each week, hey, and you're killing me. But what I will mm. say... Yeah, exactly. You're great. What The other thing, if we were going... To not be just so focused on college football, because obviously we're very big college football guys. 
The only other games I think that would have been a lot of fun to see. I would have loved to have been in person when the Pirates played their wild card game with the Cueto chance. I wasn't able to get out there because I was in school at the time. And I got out, luckily, for the NLDS. And I got to see a, a really fun atmosphere and win, but nothing like that one. Buckeye basketball, the only one I would have said is potentially that Roy Hibbert versus Greg Oden Final Four game. I think that would have been a lot of fun. The hype going into that was unreal. We still were at that point. The center was a big part of the game. We thought those guys were the future of the NBA. We were getting a sneak peek in the college level. So for me, those were the three. But the number one, without a doubt, was that 2 National Championship. Really felt like Ohio State football felt back at that point. Yeah, so as I've had some time to to think here, uh, some that come to mind. First off, not in the Big Ten or anything, but the um, Oklahoma-Texas Tech with Baker Mayfield versus Patrick Mahomes when both offenses went crazy. That would have been a really fun game. Uh, and obviously, looking back, you know, knowing how good these quarterbacks have been in the NFL, that would have been a really fun game. And then the the Cavs-Warriors game seven when the Cavs won it all what is definitely one that is in my probably – it's probably my number one, honestly, if I could pick because the, the, the history behind it and the way LeBron played that series was incredible. So that would definitely probably be my number one. What about Texas-USC National Championship game? That would have been phenomenal to be at. That's that's one of those games. I think I was 10 years old, but I remember watching it. Like, I, I loved USC. I loved Reggie Bush. And then I stayed up all night. I, I believe we had school the next morning or something. And I was watching that in the basement, like in the bedroom basement at my mom's house. Or no, I was still upstairs, actually. But I remember the TV that it was on, old box TV, hung up in the corner of my room. Stayed up till like, 1 in the morning to watch it. That was a great game. That's a good one, too. Well, and they had the legendary Keith Jackson on call for that game, too. I think it was one of his final games. It might have been. I, I might be speaking out of turn. He goat. is, dude. He was so good. Oh, Nelly! <laughs> that, that was that was fucking amazing. <laughs> that that impersonation right there. Can you do that again? Whoa, Nelly! <laughs> I, I it's hard. To, I can hear it in my head though. Whoa, no! And, and he had all many of those calls. Like I can still vividly hear the call from that O two national championship game with Keith Jackson again. Just the and now the party begins for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And it was just like oh goosebumps. I'm ready to run through a freaking wall. That was awesome, but. Wow, that was fun. I actually really enjoyed that. The only other one I would have said is the tuck rule game, but I would have been in jail because I would have went down on the field and fought Walt Coleman before he came back out and made the call. But that would have been the only one. That started off uh, Brady's run there, so... I hate you. The goat. Wasn't I hate it you both, really. They, uh, well, yeah, no, it was... Yeah, Charles made the strip sack, and then, I can't remember his name, number 54, lands well, the ball. The, I'm celebrating. The Game's alleged... Over. The alleged strip sack it was a strip sack that was a fumble and i will go to war they never called that they don't call that incomplete incomplete shut up (laughs) arm was going forward it went all all the way that was clearly a pass tom brady's gonna win my bucks on the three super bowls so let's go i i genuinely detest both of you right now which is usually how this goes it's usually how we wrap up where i hate both of you and really question doing this ever again but before i wrap up do you guys have anything you want to say about that not Keep about going. that, no. But ahead, I, have yeah, yeah. A cu- I have a couple of things that we could touch on if if we wanted to. Hey, if you got it, go for it. Let's hear it. 
Okay. Yeah. So first I wanted to touch on, I did see a report right before we got on here that Juwan Howard is not interested in NBA coaching jobs. So I thought that was relevant. And then kind of touching on a recruiting update here, Northwestern got a crystal ball for the number 620 player in the country, Nick Herzog out of Kansas. I thought it was kind of weird that they're dipping into into Kansas, but he is a three-star. That's a pretty decent recruit for Northwestern. And Iowa got a crystal ball for Micah Riley Ducker, who's a freaking huge tight end, 6'6", 235, out of Nebraska. So I thought that that was interesting. Ohio State gets crystal balls, you know, more receivers, of course. 2023, Carnell Tate, he's a really high four-star kid out of Chicago. They also got crystal balls for four-star safety, Zion Branch and Gabriel Harris. Branch is a safety, Harris is a defensive tackle. And then also within the last week, Caleb Brown was officially snagged from Michigan and committed to the Ohio State. It's Any absolutely, thoughts on those? Yeah, I do. Because it's I, Wally and I were talking about this right before you hopped on. It's absolutely bananas how many top 100 receivers. And this Tate guy obviously isn't committed yet. Yeah, he isn't. Possibility that he is. It's crazy how many top 100 receivers that they have on the roster. Like, it's actually mind-boggling. And th- there has to be some some guys that are going to... There just has to be. They're not going to be able to play them all. Oh, I mean, you saw it already with Jamison Williams. He was a top 100 guy, too, I I believe. Or he was really high up there in the four stars. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's only one ball. You know, it's like, you know, when people didn't think that the big three would work in the NBA, but, you know, it eventually takes time. But there is only one ball uh, for nine guys. So, yeah, expect to see some transfers. and. You know, surprisingly, in that room, I could see Julian Fleming going. I, I I don't know. I figured that he would be making more of a splash than what I guess he has. I know last year was his first year, but I thought Jackson Smith and Jigba got a lot more attention. And the things that I've heard, he looked a lot better than Julian Fleming. But that's just an idea or some somebody to keep an eye on. But I mean that. That you're you're right, Hayden. That room can afford to lose a top five overall player at wide receiver in his class because they have eight more guys that are <laughs> ranked in the top one hundred. So Yeah, you guys are obviously the recruiting guys, but even for people like myself on the outside looking in, it is evident of how impressive and how unusual what he's been doing this last few years has been like. It's mesmerizing, really, because at some point I always look. I'm like, all right, cool. We don't have to worry about receiver for a few years. Don't have to worry about adding guys to the next class. And it's just every time we talk, it seems like, oh, yeah, by the way, I have got another crystal ball for another top five wide receiver in the country. And I'm like, like, what do you do? I just don't. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. I Yeah, yeah I completely agree with you, Wally. Like, <laughs> you know, the past three classes that I think three classes that they've had, I just keep thinking, all right, uh, so next year, you know, they'll take a step back. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, they just keep reeling in these guys. And I personally, I, I think it's awesome. I think it shows that these kids are not afraid to sit sit a year and be developed by really good coaching. And then once it's their time to shine, they boom, there they are. Because that's what happens to players at Ohio State. 
which also goes back to the point as to why I don't really love this transfer thing because I think, I don't know. I just like it when guys stick it out and then get rewarded when their time is, when their time comes. You're going to see less and less of the players willing to compete, I guess is the best way to say it. Now that you have that easy out, it's awesome to see right now from the, like, again, from the outside, it seems like these guys are going into Ohio State knowing and ready to compete. But once you're there for a year or so, it's a lot easier said than done when you know that you can go somewhere else and be that guy. So, yeah, I think we're going to see these guys transfer, whether it's Fleming, whether it's someone else. We're, we're going to see movement because you, you said it. There's only one ball. And, I mean, no matter how good you are, you're only going to get so many targets when the receiving room is like that receiving room. I don't know this for a fact, but going through these past few classes, any guesses as to who is the lowest ranked wide receiver that Ohio State has had? You, I mean, you might be able to think of it off the top of your head. I, I know Hayden probably knows. Um, I'm, is I've it Olave? Yeah, Olave. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he was wasn't he a three or was he a low four? He, you know, I per I think that the, these guys mess with these rankings all the time. Like, but he was a three star, three ninety nine overall, and yeah. So I thought that that was interesting. Even their three star guy is uh getting developed at the wide receiver position. Well, I want to ask you guys then too. I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit in past episodes as well, but Olave's kind of more or less that college style wide receiver. And now we're seeing more of the pro like ready bodies, at least that they're recruiting. They're bigger. They're the traditional guys, the six, two, six, three long, long reach. Are we going to kind of see that Ohio state move completely into the NFL wide receiver body, I guess, opposed to the Chris Olave's going forward? Are we going to see a little of everything? Bring me Marvin Harrison Jr. body all day long. That dude's going to be a freak. Interestingly enough, Wally, I think that the the NFL is kind of adapting more of the college wide receiver body, you know, the 6'1", 190 guy, rather than like the 6'4", 230 guy, more than what I thought they would, to be honest with you, you know, with the Devontae Smith Jalen, I mean, Jalen Waddle's like 5'10". He's like 5'11", I thought. He might be 5'10". You might be right. But he's built like a Mack truck where Devontae is this like frail slender man, six foot, like a buck 68. The Slim Reaper's right. Yeah. um, Anyway, so like going through Ohio State's classes, you know, Emeka Ibuka is 6'1", 190. Marvin Harrison Jr., he's listed at 6'3". I thought he was 6'4". But either way, it's 6'2", 175 for Jaden Ballard. Has anyone heard anything about him, how he, how he's coming along? Nope. No. Okay. And that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back next week on June 18th, where we'll have another edition of our Big Ten Big Five. We'll talk this week, figure out what that is. It's going to be a little surprise for you guys. Make sure you submit your Ask CHW questions by tweeting at us with the hashtag AskCHW. We'll also accept those questions tagged to us on Facebook and Instagram. We love all your guys' feedback, so please keep that coming. Have something you want us to talk about, let us know. Have something you want us to do differently, let us know. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. Otherwise, boys... Do we have any final thoughts today? 
Not really. Excited to go eat this dinner, actually. So last night, Lauren's friend Moore took us out to eat for our engagement celebration. I got a big-ass New York strip steak and a 20-ounce lobster tail with some mashed potatoes. And I ate half of it because we had a crap ton of appetizers. And the bread at this place was amazing. So shout-out to Mora for taking us there. But I have that to go look forward to. So that is my final thought. Hayden, don't you hate seafood because you're an idiot? Seafood is one of the most appalling foods that a person can eat. It's absolutely, absolutely but disgusting. Bad. And this is coming from the same guy. There's, you're not changing my mind on this. I'm completely set in stone and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yo, Lauren wanted to try my lobster. I don't know why she hates seafood, but she wanted to try it last night. And she legit about threw up at the, like, when she was sitting at the table. She had to put the towel over her mouth, and she was, like, gagging. And she spit it out and put did all that. I was like, why did you try that? Like, I knew you were not going to like it. But I don't know. Whatever. That's why I never get to eat seafood anymore. See, lobster's great, but I'm a big fan. I love lobster bisque. That, oh my gosh, that creamy soup, it just doesn't get any better than that. Pretty much any seafood, like fried calamari, it's great, but that's good. I'm happy that you're going to have a fun dinner. Looking forward to hearing about it. Hayden, how about you? What What's uh, your final thought today? Do you have anything for us? No, I don't, I don't have anything. No, no, no blazing hot takes for me today. Sorry. No, that's all right. I have a couple quick ones, and then we're going to officially shut it down. The College Women's Softball World Series... I was watching that earlier when I was prepping. I can never get over how those women that pitch, how somebody doesn't die every year. It feels like they're 15 feet from home plate and they're hitting just seeds right by everybody. So that was crazy. I don't know how people don't watch that more. That's a really fun sport. And then otherwise, Iowa, guess who just allowed beer and wine sales at Kinnick Stadium? You thought that place was rowdy before. This is going to get ugly for those road fans when they're sitting 15 feet behind you on that sideline. But otherwise, folks, that's going to bring us to the end. Like I said, Episode 8, make sure you tune in next week. We'll get you back for another episode of Pigskins and Nylon.